Jesus, you are here. Thank you for that. Thank you that we don't have to do some strange dance or mantra or bang some drum for you to uh, find your way here. Thank you that um, you invite us into your presence. Uh, we sing songs welcoming you into our presence because uh, we, we want hearts of hospitality that are, are warm to you, but truly it is, it is us being welcomed into your presence. I pray that you would minister to our hearts this morning, pray that you would speak, pray that you would uh, help me and my ideas and my thoughts to move out of the way and that you would speak directly uh, to what we need. You know every person here, you know where they're coming from, you know the doubts and the faith and the struggles and the belief, you know everything going on and it blows my mind how big you are and yet the, the microscopic, minuscule things that you hold together. Thank you that you're that type of God. I, I want to pray especially for people who are here that don't believe in you. Or that are really struggling to believe that you are good and do what is true. And I pray that you would be the, the great shepherd that you are. Full of compassion. And that you, would, um, that you would love well. We need you. Amen. I don't know where the organ music is coming from. Uh, but I... I hope it's not just in my mind. If it is, you can all pray for me. Uh, it's always a, a leap of faith to even mention that I'm hearing things in front of people, right? Um, but I, I want to talk about being a traveling salesman. Traveling salesman, uh, I, I was a traveling salesman in my past life, current life, right? Not like previous life. But during my life, during my 42 years of existence, uh, I was a traveling salesman. As a traveling salesman, I was given a product or products, I was given a mission. I was given a pitch to bring to people. But the product, the mission, the pitch, they weren't my own. I was told what to do. I was on someone else's mission. I was sent for growth of the organization, hopefully to get some incentives for myself, right? Every morning they're like, hey, and maybe one day you could get this all-inclusive to Cancun. The problem was I never heard of or knew of anyone real going to Cancun. Uh, or if you sell enough today, then you can get a car. But I never knew anyone that actually got the car, right? But that's a side point. Here's the thing. I was sent out with these products. And mostly, honestly, they were garbage products that I was sent out with. I was never changed by the product. I didn't believe in the product. I was there for a job hoping to make some money. And I was bringing this product that, that no one really wanted. Honestly, I would see it in people's eyes. I don't want this. And it was my job to convince you that this piece of plastic made somewhere else is what you really need and what you really desire. Um, I only lasted a day on this job. Uh, didn't, didn't go very far. And at the end of the day, I met with the, the boss, the, the boss guy, manager guy. And he just said, how was your experience? I said, terrible. It was really terrible. And he said, well, what part of it was terrible? I said, well, all of it. All of it was terrible, like the whole thing. And he's like, well, why is that? I said, well, because I don't, I don't believe in this product. Like, I, I don't believe in what I'm, what I'm doing. And it's nothing against you. It's nothing against this. But, but I've been changed for something else. And I went, I just had become a follower of Jesus a few months before. And so he said, well, what are you passionate about? I said, oh, man. And so he and I spent the next two hours, unpaid time, of course. I didn't get paid for anything that day. You can't tell someone it was a terrible experience and they're going to give you a check for anything you do. Um, but I went on for the next two hours to tell this guy about Jesus and who he is and how he had changed my life and how he could change his life too. We were praying together by the end. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, but I believed in the product that I was actually pushing. 
And that's what we're going to see this morning. Paul. Paul was like a traveling salesman in all of his journeys. You can read the book of Acts, which is a book in the New Testament. You'll see that Paul is like a traveling salesman who had his life upended by Jesus, had his heart transformed by Jesus, his desires reshaped by Jesus, and he was sent by Jesus to proclaim what we call the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And right away you might say, oh, I don't believe in the resurrection. All right, put that aside and, and, and come with us on this journey this morning and imagine that maybe that is true. But Paul was called by Jesus to go throughout the world proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. Now, some of us believe that if, if we become a follower of Jesus, everything is going to become easier. Like Jesus is some sugar daddy pinata in the sky that if you just hit him the right way, he's going to give you all the goodies that you've ever wanted. And we see the man who was clearly obsessed with Jesus in the person of Paul. And listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And you can just listen. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So this is being whipped or beaten 39 times. He got that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Like he's keeping track of this stuff. It's wild. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul's saying, listen, I love Jesus with everything. He said things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? I just want Jesus. I'm all in on Jesus. And if it means this hardship, I'm in. As long as I have him, don't take away Jesus from me. This is really important for us to hear because as, if you're a follower of Jesus, we can't buy into the indigo version of Christianity or the chapters version. That's a bookstore. So you're like, what's a book? Well, there's a bookstore with all kinds of books. I know I'm downtown. We, we read generally, right? But if you go to the Christian bookstore, you'll find all, or the, the Christian section, a religion section in the bookstore, it's hilarious, sad, I don't know. I went there recently, and I was in, because Christianity and the occult section are right next to each other, and they had the King James Version of the Bible and the occult version. I'm like, I don't, I didn't get the memo on that, that that went that way, but all right. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. Uh, but as you look at the Christian section, you just see a whole lot of happy, clappy, smiley faces. That if you just follow Jesus, everything is going to be amazing. Clearly, those authors haven't read the New Testament. They haven't read what Paul was on about. Jesus actually looked at his disciples often and said, do you want to go as well? Do you want to leave? It's something for us to consider. And here's the thing. Paul wanted to leave Corinth. Acts chapter 18, verse 9 to 11. Paul is desiring to leave Corinth. And Jesus has to come to him in this dream vision and convince him to stay. Saying, I have many people in this city and you won't be harmed here. And Paul said, I'm in. I'm in. Because Jesus, if you want me to stay in this city at this time and place, no matter what's coming, I'm in. What about you? What about you? Have you been changed by Jesus? 
And I don't just mean like you said some prayer one time or like signed a thing one time or, you know, in some emotional thing you like put up your hand somewhere. I mean, have you really been changed by him? Like new desires, new, new emotions, infatuations, captivated, being willing to get rid of everything else for him. And I'm not saying that this is all the time, but that at least you have moments where that's true. Where you would give up and walk away from everything for him. Do you want him the most? Do you want him more than anything else in this world? This is the one prayer I pray for my kids all the time. I have four little kids, not so little, 13 to 7. 13-year-old is almost looking eye to eye with me. Um, But the thing I pray over them all the time is, Lord, would you help them want you more than anything else in this world? Make them poor. Don't give them all the desires of their hearts. Don't make them famous. Don't make them popular. Don't give them the things that they want if it's going to lead them away from you. Help them love you more than anything else. And they're like, Dad, are you not that creative? You can't pray anything else over us. I'm like, this is all I have. This is the best thing I can pray for you. And this is true of Paul. This is what Paul says in Philippians. Um, this is all introduction. I haven't been downtown for a while, so I wanted to come bringing a gift to you. So I came bringing a longer introduction. Um, Philippians 3, 7 to 9. I know how you like to sit. So many of you are students. You're like, ah, I love class. I'm like, here. It's not class, but I love you. Um, Philippians 3, 7. Paul writes this. Whatever gain I had, and he had a lot. Like, religiously speaking, Paul was the man. He was as legit as you can be as a religious leader. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I just want Jesus. All that stuff, he says in eight, chapter, verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That word rubbish is the closest thing we have to a swear word in the New Testament. He says, every good thing compared to Jesus is like that, garbage, dung, crap, in order that I may gain Christ. Paul just wanted Jesus. And until this lands in your heart, you're going to have a ton of trouble with what we're actually going to look at this morning. If you don't deep down want Jesus more, and I, and I know we struggle, we struggle, it's difficult But if there's not that seed in your heart that I want Jesus more than anything else, when in a sane moment, I want him more than anything else, it's going to be really hard to understand the rest of this sermon. Because this is what Jesus wants to do. He doesn't want to be an add-on for you. He's not a a neat little uh, diploma to go alongside your true degree. He's not a nice little app on your phone. He's everything. In fact, everything else is going gonna, is gonna to one day be rolled back like a scroll. And it's just going to be him. Everything else is going to rust and rot, but not him. The reason why I give this introduction is because Paul had this commission to, to be sent and go and proclaim the gospel, to share about who Jesus is. And the same thing is true of every one of us. All of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given the same commission. Not just show up on a Sunday morning, not do a city group thing, not do a change group thing, not just give a little bit of money, not take some some communion, not just that, but you're commissioned, you're sent 
by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the church to go and declare the excellencies of King Jesus wherever you go. And here's the thing that popped into my mind when I thought about this over the past couple weeks. Yeah, but people think it's really silly. People think the good news of Jesus is really silly. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's actually what this text says. Paul says, I know that it doesn't make sense to people. This is why we need to be proclaiming it. And you're like, I'm not with you. All right, let's get into the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, please, on your way out, take it. Take one of those uh, in the back. We have a lot of them. We have English and French. Uh, you can also download an app on your phone. But let's get into the text. First uh, Corinthians 1, verse 18, Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Paul says the cross sounds crazy, absolutely bonkers, that God would, would come himself, take on human flesh, live a life amongst us, die and rise again. Like, why go through all that trouble? Why not just do that magic formula from up in heaven or wherever he resides? This just sounds nuts. And we're banking our hope on the fact that someone comes to life again, right? We're, we're really smart, scientific, advanced people. We, we did school, at least some of us and some of it, right? We know that people don't rise from the dead. We sometimes look back with what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. We look back and we're like, oh, silly people in that day believed in resurrection. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They weren't doing funerals expecting people to get up out of the grave. They're like slow clapping them alive, like anytime now, and they realize our slow clap never works. Resurrection, people just don't get up out of the grave. So it sounds nuts. And Paul actually says that. Later on in 1 Corinthians, he said, man, if Jesus isn't alive, the world should look at Christians and just say, oh, poor Christians, and like pat us on the head and not, not get all angry. We'd be like, those, those idiots, those idiots, we feel sorry for them. It sounds crazy. It also sounds inappropriate. As a Roman citizen, it was inappropriate to talk about crucifixion, right? It's, it's taboo. You don't bring that up. So to talk about Christ crucified was something you didn't do. So it seems like a really bad message of Paul that he's saying, the cross of Christ is what I'm going to be about. It's crazy, inappropriate, inspiring at best. But it's not the message that people are looking for. Listen to what Paul says in, in chapter 1, verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. The world in, in Paul's Paul's ideation, the world is broken up into Jews and Gentiles, right? So that's it, everyone. So for Jews, it says they, they seek or they demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. It sounds like Paul is saying uh, they like subs for lunch, they like pizza, but we're given hamburgers. It's like, Paul, you didn't do your research, man. If you're going to break into these markets, you have to understand what people are looking for. Sounds like he's off. Jews want signs. They want power. They want to see that there's someone more powerful than the created order. And he says, when I preach Christ, it's a stumbling block. It's something that they're tripping over. He said, when I preach to the Greeks, they want wisdom. They want ideas. How many of you like TED Talks? There are like five of us, okay? Um, some of us like TED Talks for the the actual content of the TED Talk, not me. I like seeing how people present their ideas. 
And that's actually what the Corinthians were obsessed with. They loved the rhetoric. They loved the way that people were announcing and getting low and showing really big and all that stuff. That's what they liked. They wanted a good presentation. They didn't really care what the content was. He says they're seeking wisdom ideas. And he said, Jesus Christ sounds stupid to them. What do people in our culture, in our society, the people that we're bumping into, even us, what do we really want? What do we want? Here's a little list. We want health. We want health. And some of us will approach Jesus because we say, we've heard, oh, maybe Jesus can help us get healthy. And I've seen this happen to people before as well. They pursue Jesus because they hear that Jesus is a healer. Jesus actually heals them or brings healing to people around them. And then after that takes place, they're like excited about Jesus for a hot minute and then they move on. Jesus wasn't the end for them. He was a means to get what they wanted. We want health. Ah, if I just do the right thing with Jesus, then maybe he'll give me the health. And when I have the health, I don't need him anymore. What's another thing that we pursue? Riches. And for some of us, it's not like, you know, having a really sweet house in Westmount. Um, For those of you who only live in downtown and never go out of downtown, I know some of you, right? There are other places in our city. And Westmount is a place where mostly rather wealthy people are, are living. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking for some of us, we just want to be able to pay rent. We want to be able to have food. We want to not live paycheck to paycheck. Riches, we want riches. And maybe Jesus, if we follow him, he'll give us what we want. Jesus is a means to our end. What else do we want? We want security. We want comfort. We want approval of people. Can't find approval from other people out there, so maybe I can find approval in here. Sometimes people use Jesus so that they get community. They join the church not because they love Jesus, but because of the community that they have. And they use and actually abuse the community and take advantage of the community for their ends. If that's you, there's something far greater than this community that you're being offered. What else do people want? Control. Control. People want power, and we could just keep going. Here's the thing. People might want Jesus. They might want Jesus if he gives them those things. But then Jesus becomes the means to an end that ultimately is going to end. And he's so much more. We talk about, like, when I die, or we talk about RRSPs, or we talk about what's the getting hit by a bus plan, or whatever it is, right? What's the plan for if we're going to go? Jesus talks about eternal life. He talks about an eternity, never-ending reality. And he invites us into that agenda. See, so if we think about ourselves as, as salespeople, salespeople sent out, we might sell Jesus with a message that someone can get something more or better, and we might feel like that's, that's accurate and true, but it's just not. We're sent out with the foolish message that Jesus is sufficient. That your search for approval and control and comfort and power and riches and health and all these things ultimately are your bent desires toward these things, but they're ultimately for Jesus because in him, we can only have these things. So here's the temptation for us. If the message doesn't work enough times, we're tempted to change it, right? I'm tempted to change it. Oh, what do do you want in life? What's your outcome? What's your desires? And I often want to shift and and shape Jesus so that they will, will want him. 
But the reality is that they could get the wrong version of Jesus. And if you get the wrong version of Jesus, you don't get Jesus. You don't get him because you bought into the false view of who he is. You see, our world, the people around us all the time look at God's means, methods, and message. And they say, foolish, foolish. And sometimes that makes us upset. Man, how could they say we're foolish? How could they say this is dumb? Well, God actually says that it sounds foolish. God says his message sounds foolish. Listen, 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For since in the wisdom of God, so this is God's wisdom moving. In the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly or foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. God says, you can't know me through wisdom. You can't know me through some pilgrimage somewhere, chanting, sitting in some uncomfortable position. You can't know me through gaining master's degrees. You can know more about me, but you can't know me. The only way you get to know me is through belief. That's it. Believing. You might say, just believing? But like, what about what we need to do? This seems like a really big book. Why couldn't we have just gotten just believe? Right? It was tweetable, it sounds. Or exable, or a post, or whatever you call it now. I'm not quite sure. But just believe? Here's the thing. God actually calls us. He calls us. I know none of us pick up the phone anymore. We see, the, we see the call coming, and we're like, oh my goodness, how, how dare they? We like shut it off. If they really want to get a hold of me, they'll text me, right? An unknown number called, and I'm like, oh, we have all these things going on in life, and I had to pick it up. I'm like, hello? You know, it's like a hostage situation. Like, what do you want from me? Leave me alone, you, you psycho. Come on. But God calls us. If God's calling you in your iPhone, it's probably not the Lord. It's some scam, all right? But he calls us. He calls us. Listen to what his call was to, to these Corinthians. And it could be a, a, you could be offended reading this, and I hope you are. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's comfortable, isn't it? Like, I, I don't know. Is that a, a backhanded insult? Comma, I don't know what it is. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So it's not your, your power, your prestige, or the lineage you come from, right? And that's good news for some of us. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. So if you're a follower of Jesus, just know you're a little foolish. And, and this is good news for you. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God because he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So this is the good news of this message. Bring your weakness, bring your foolishness, bring your enemy status, bring your rebellion, and I will make you part of my family. It's wild, absolutely wild. 
it would be the most confusing TED Talk in the history of TED Talks, right? Because it doesn't make sense according to worldly standards. We're told, oh, you want to go get a job? You got to do this training. You got to do this degree. You got to do this stuff. God is saying, bring your foolishness, your weakness, your, your incapacity, the things you can't do, and that will make me look really good. I will get to show my grace and my love and my posture toward people that can't get their act together. You ever feel like you can't get your act together? I do all the time. And God says, come on, I have more grace for you. He's not looking for you to dress yourself up as some good little boy or girl, or some grown-up boy or girl. And show him all the good religious things that you can do and how strong you are. He knows who you are and he loves you anyway. This is the good news of this message that Paul is selling. And it's free. It doesn't cost anything except your life. So it kind of costs everything. That you're not going to get behind the TED Talks. You're not going to get behind these philosophies. Everything now is about him. Our boast is in him. In the things that, that we pursue in this life, wisdom, some of you are pursuing wisdom. God says, hey, believe, and I'll give you wisdom. I'll just give it to you. Some of you are pursuing a right standing with God. He says, hey, believe, and I'll give you a right standing. Some of you are perceiving or pursuing redemption where you're really free from, from the slavery or the addiction or the things that you can't break away from. Jesus says, Come. And I'll free you. I'll do all this for you. All the work you think you need to do has already been done at the cross. This is good news. Because the cross, even though it sounds crazy, he also says this in verse 18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross changes everything. It changes everything. Allow for this to be more than just some like little intellectual lecture. Allow for this to like get into your, your bones. Allow for this to cause your heart to rejoice that the cross changes everything. That at one point Jesus came after you. I tell my story often, so I won't tell the whole story, but I, I was sitting in an apartment by myself, half drunk, and I made this prayer I made a mess of my life, no friends, nothing, right? I made this prayer, uh, Jesus, if you're real, I, I want to be all in. I, I want to follow you. If you're not, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. This will be like some strange hallucination type thing. I don't know. And it was like someone took out my heart, gave me a new heart, new desires, new mind. I saw the world differently. And it wasn't because of anything I did. I brought my brokenness to him, and he brought his change to me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that is your story. You didn't bring anything to the table except rebellion. And he brought all the goods to make you part of his family. And so in verse 31, it says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We get to embrace the, the, the perceived foolishness of the message of the cross. Because even though it appears foolish to some, it's the power of God to change everything about their forever. And it's worth looking really foolish to a lot so that some might know who Jesus is and be with him forever. It's so worth it. And when we see him face to face, 
We're going to feel like everything is worth it. I don't know if you saw the movie Schindler's List. Um, it's a bit of an older movie at this point. Um, but at the very end of the movie, Schindler sees there's this color shot, the only color that makes it into the movie. And he is gripped with the fact that I, I could have done more. I don't think this is going to be our feeling when we're in front of Jesus. He's not going to like dump on, here's one last pail full of guilt and like throw it at us and be like, okay, it's all done. It's gone now. He's not going to do that. But we're, we're going to be enjoying him so much in that moment. And I think we're going to get to enjoy him with the people that we got to share about him with, especially the people at the beginning who said, you're a moron. This is foolish. This doesn't make any sense. And you prayed for them and tracked with them and kept sharing and opening your life to them. And at one point they said, yes, I want him. My dad, my dad asked me every single time he saw me when I wasn't following Jesus, right? Up until the age of 22, he would say, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus? I'm like, ah, dad, like it's non-existent. Like, can we talk about baseball or football or something else? Like, He's like, all right, well, I'm praying for him. I'm like, thanks a lot, dad. The Lord answered his prayer. He kept pursuing me, right? And, and my dad awkwardly pursuing me with, how's your relationship with Jesus? Like non-existent, kept Jesus in my mind, even though I was stiff arming him and didn't want anything to do with him. See, we embrace the folly and weakness of this message because this is going to be really good news and is going to change the lives of people around us. And if it's truly a life-changing message, then it's going to keep changing your life as well. Are you still enjoying this message? Do you, do you still cherish this? Do you believe it? Do you get up in the morning and say, I can't believe that you would choose me? Almost every morning as I sit there, like I can barely open my eyes, I, I make myself get up really early in the morning, I like autopilot to the coffee machine, I get the coffee, I sit down, one of my first things that I say to the Lord is, I can't believe that you would love me. And then I'm reading scripture, and I'm like, but I see here that you do. It's amazing grace that you would do this. It really is. Do you still believe this? Do you still believe that God loves you because he just loves you? That he's gracious to you because he's just gracious to you? Or are you embarrassed by him? I remember growing up wanting to like get away from my parents, right? It's like, okay, uh, no, they said you could drop me off four blocks away from school. I think I need to get my steps in before steps were a thing, right? Just kind of embarrassed. Are you embarrassed by the gospel? Are you embarrassed by the foolishness or the perceived foolishness of God? Do you think that others won't believe it? Why is that? We see Montreal and Corinth are very similar cities. Very cool, or trying to be cool. Uh, urban, trendy, sexual, intellectual cities. We want to be leaders. There's loads of human achievement. You could travel around the city and read all the plaques. My mother-in-law loves reading plaques. Everywhere we go, she reads the plaques. She's like, could you tell me about this? I'm like, no, I've never read the plaque. In your city? I'm like, never read the plaque in my city, right? So she tells us about our city. It's amazing. But loads of human achievement, like tons of it. So it can be a very intimidating place to live as a follower of Jesus. We're outnumbered all the time. We're seemingly irrelevant to the city of Montreal. If we were to go out and say, hey, the church wants to help out with something, 
in the city, they would just say, no thanks. Do you have a building? Do you have money? Do you have people that we can use? Like, no, not a lot. Like, ah, no thanks, we're good. The church is irrelevant. I've met so many people, so many different things that I tell them I'm a pastor and they're like, one, they can't figure out how I'm married and have kids because they just think priest. I'm like, priest with benefits, I don't know if that's appropriate to say, I'm not sure, um, but I say it. So I'm just trying to contextualize and help people understand my situation in life, right? But they're like, so you do a thing with the church? I'm like, yeah, the church. And they're like, I didn't know that the church was still a thing. This is where we live. Welcome to Montreal. This is where we're at. We're outnumbered, seemingly irrelevant. So it seems like we should change the message. It seems like Paul should change the message. And what does he do? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, Hey, I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, that TED Talk thing. Listen to what he said. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When I came, I was all about Jesus. They're like, yeah, but like, what about this thing? He's like, oh yeah, that's a great question. Let's set that aside. Let's talk about Jesus. They're like, yeah, but we got to get here. He's like, okay, but that goes through Jesus. All roads lead through Jesus to every other subject. This is Paul's like one trick pony, his one hit wonder. This is the one drum that he just kept beating because he knows that life can't come any other way except through him. Do you still believe that? Are you still all in on that? Is it true for, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain? Like I'm all in on him. Is that still moving you? You say, man, it feels really weak. Dwight, I feel really weak living in this city. So did Paul. He said, and I was with you. Listen, uh, chapter two, verse three. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He's rejoicing in this weakness because he's saying this, the weakness that we feel is an arena for God to show his strength. God would do wild things. God once helped this guy named Gideon choose an army. If God ever says, hey, let me choose, help you choose an arm, be like, are you, are you sure? Like, are you going to give me the good players? What's going to happen? But he, he has these tens of thousands of, of people in the military coming forward, and Gideon's like, yes, I'm going to win this. And then he's like, well, hey, have them drink water. You know, and everyone's like drinking with a ladle or some like cool thing that they got at, I don't know, Easter Mount Sports, something. And then he's like, no, I don't want any of those people. Like, who are the people that are drinking the weirdest? He's like, well, there's about 300 of them. Like, yeah, take the weird drinker people. Like, we're going to take them. He's like, what are the weird drinker people going to do? They don't have the dexterity to even drink normal. He's like, we're going to win a war with them. Because God isn't into human wisdom. God is into doing things in our weakness. God is into taking small groups of people like the Christians in Montreal and maybe bringing revival to our place by just using a few. He doesn't need a lot. He's not impressed by the thousands and thousands because he did that work anyway. And it doesn't take much for God to flex and say, now this city is going to know me. And many people in Corinth came to know Jesus. And many people in Montreal might come to know Jesus through you sharing what seems to be a very foolish message. And do you know what's so good about the gospel is that you're free from needing to impress people. We'll end with this. In, in chapter 2, verse 4, he said, My speech, my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit 
and of power. And that's what I was praying for this morning as I was coming in here. Lord, don't just give me words to say, but bring demonstration and power of your Holy Spirit to be working in the hearts and lives of those who come here this morning. That the Spirit might reinvigorate you or give you new affections for Jesus. He said, I came with that, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, the Spirit of God is working in you, not just so you can like raise your hands maybe during a song at the end of our gathering, but rather he's working in us to impress people with God. When people notice things that are going on in you that are otherworldly, don't be like, yeah, I've been working really hard. I've been memorizing some scripture. Yeah, I'm awesome. It's, man, that was not me. This is what Jesus is doing in my life now. I, I tell people all the time that I'm stingy oh, you're so generous. Thank you so much. I'm like, ah, I was actually thinking about how I can get out of here earlier and go do what I want to do. They're like, oh, it's weird. I'm like, I know, but God is helping me actually want to care for people. And they're like, are you you supposed to say that? I'm like, hey, I'm a work in progress too, right? Like I struggle just like you struggle. We're all there. But what is that doing? It's not drawing attention to me. It's drawing the weirdness to me and being like, wow, praise God that he's at work in your life, right? Like, yeah, praise God. We're not supposed to be drawing attention to us. We're the light of the world. We're the light of the world. We're a city set on a hill so that people can look. And when they're like, oh, that's amazing, we're like, oh, come and and see the one who's actually at work in our midst. We get to boast in him. You see, the reality is that some are going to hear the gospel as, as foolish. One day, real persecution might come to this land. I don't know. People might try and remove you like they tried to remove Paul. I have brothers uh, around the world, not biological, spiritual brothers around the world that every day that they go out to share the gospel, they say, today might be my last day. We were talking about this Friday night with some church planners and pastors um, that, that we're hoping to support in Northern Africa, where going and declaring openly the gospel is like, it's putting a price in your head, basically. And they do it with joy. They don't do it foolishly. They do it wise, wisely, great wisdom. But for them, they say to live is Christ and die is gain. Like if, if we go out proclaiming Jesus and he's the last name that we're saying on our way out and he's the first name we're saying when we see him face to face, like what loss is that? They're all in. They're all in. It's really hard, yet we're safe in him. You are perfectly safe in Jesus right now. There's nothing that anyone can do to you that can remove you from him. And here's the thing. Some are going to hear and they're going to be changed. Some are going to be made, go from enemies to family. Some are going to go from persecutors to proclaimers, just like the apostle Paul. And we have a helper. The spirit of God is given to us to give us power to proclaim and show the goodness of who Jesus is. Jesus told his disciples, they were all worried. What are we going to say? You know, Jesus said, hey, you're going to be dragged, right? Dragged, not escorted nicely. You're going to be dragged in front of world leaders. Don't you worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit will give you the words you need. Don't you worry what you're going to say to your coworker and friends and neighbors and family members. Ask the Spirit of God. He knows what those, that person needs. He wants to make the gospel good news to you and good news to them. So I end with this. Have you been changed by Jesus? Have you been changed by Jesus? This morning, is this a reminder of yes, and I do. I love him and I want him more than anything. I really do. 
Because if you've been changed by him at one point, this foolish message slayed you. It slayed you. Does it continue to baffle you? Allow for that to happen again this morning. There are things in scripture that I'm like, I don't have answers to. And instead of going into uh, chaos spiritually and emotionally and mentally and saying, I can't figure out this thing, uh, I go to worship. Lord, my mind is, it's, maybe it's little, but you made it that way. Um, and I can't understand all this. I can't fully grasp all of this reality, but I, I worship you for who you are. If you're here and you've been make, using Jesus as a means to try and get what you want, you've been trying to manipulate him, he sees through it all. He sees through it all. Let go of using him as a means. Everything else is meant to point to his sufficiency. That thing that you're actually going after, it's, it's going to run out of steam someday. It can't provide for you ultimately, but he will. Be a salesman or a saleswoman that the product actually changes. Don't go out and share about who Jesus is without also letting him change you. Speak about how he's working in your life. Speak about how you still have fears and, and distress and concerns, but here's how Jesus is overcoming them. Help people understand how he's actually at work. People are longing for this. They've just pre been presented a really lame version of Jesus, especially in Quebec. That Jesus here was means of political power. We talk about how in the parliament building in, in Quebec City, that they keep a crucifix to remember the history that they're not going back to. We're not going back to that. We're moving forward. That Jesus was used as a means of control here. People don't know. People don't know. My friend Jeff says, it's kind of like, this is crass, that's okay. Um, it's kind of like, you know, feeding a kid crap when they're growing up, calling it chocolate. And they grow up, and you're, you're saying, hey, let's go to Juliet and Chocolat. I, don't, I hear they're going out of business or something. It's too bad. Best brownies in the city, I think. But, um, and you say, hey, let's go get a chocolate, double intense chocolate brownie. And they're like, oh, I ate chocolate as a kid. It's horrible. It smells horrible. It's, it's gross. Like, I don't know what chocolate you're talking about. You somehow get them to eat that chocolate. They're like, this is not what I was fed. That's what we get to do as proclaimers of, of Jesus. We get to understand where people are coming from, and we get to show who he really is and what he's done. He is good news. We get him. He wants you, and he invites you into his mission. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to respond. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are for us. You're not against us. Thank you that you went to the cross on our behalf, and you went to wear all of our sin. Our, our, our shame, our guilt, our rebellion. You went intentionally to take all of that onto yourself because we couldn't do anything about it. Thank you that you did all that in our place. I pray for anyone who's here that, that doesn't yet know you, that this morning might be the, the day where you awaken them, where you bring life to them and they say, yes, Jesus, I still have questions, but I wanna believe in you, I wanna trust you, I wanna love you, and that you would rescue them. I pray that we would, um, we would see how people would see this message as foolish because it doesn't line up with our worldly standards, but also that we would see that, Jesus, you still rescue people by your power through this message. 
And I pray that we would be great proclaimers and declarers and demonstrators of the goodness of who you are in this city. May you bring revival to Montreal. And may we not be looking for it to come through someone else, but say, here, here I am, send me. I want to go. I want to be a part of that. And I pray... There's enough people here from probably different people groups and languages and parts of the world. I pray that you might put a desire in people's hearts to also go to some of the much harder to reach places in this world where they would get to go and and maybe even lay down their lives for the good of of your gospel and for a people group that doesn't yet know you. Um, We don't know. Don't know what you want to do, but Jesus, I know that you are sufficient, that all other worldly wisdom and, and signs, those will all go away. Uh, but you're going to stand. You're, you're enough and you're going to last forever. We love you and we need you for everything. Amen.